All right. Well, I was expecting it to be roasting today, and it's it's great. There's a nice breeze. There's a lot of shade out here. It's really very nice. Um, I hear tomorrow was supposed to be like 95, so better that we had church today than tomorrow. Um, so some of you may not know that uh, we finally got Sarah's COVID test results back, and they were negative. So it took us 10 whole days to get the results back. And honestly, after 10 days of being super careful and quarantining, I was starting to think, gosh, it would be kind of nice if they were positive because then we'd both know that uh, we'd had a very mild case and uh, we wouldn't have to worry about it as much anymore. But it was uh, negative and we are, we are happy that there was no chance that we spread COVID to anyone. So we're thankful for that. And um, hopefully if any of you were concerned, uh, your fears are, are allayed and um, we, we just want to thank you for your concern and prayers. Many of you expressed your concern, and we really appreciate that. So about a month ago, we finished our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And since then, we haven't started a new formal sermon series yet. We will eventually do that. Uh, but for the last few weeks, I've just been preaching on whatever the Lord lays on my heart, whatever passage the Lord lays on my heart that week. And this week, the passage that kept coming to me is uh, from John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Uh, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I encourage you to turn there. And the reason that this passage kept coming to me is because, well, for two reasons. The first is because I think it has something to teach us that's relevant to the specific cultural moment that we're in. And then the second reason is because I think it reminds us of a fundamental truth, something that we have a tendency to drift away from uh, and that we need to be reminded of repeatedly throughout our Christian lives, our, Christian, our walks with Jesus. And so um, for those two reasons, I really felt compelled to look at this passage. So let's dive in. John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So the setting here, a dinner party, right? And the hosts are three siblings who are adults, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we actually know a little bit about these characters from some previous stories 
Uh, we know that Martha is the responsible, task-oriented, servant-hearted kind of person. Uh, we know that her sister Mary is the exuberant, wear-your-heart-on-your-sleeve kind of person. And Lazarus, we don't really know a lot about Lazarus' personality, but one thing we do know is that he was dead, and now he's alive. Uh, he had been dead for four whole days, not long before this dinner party, and Jesus had miraculously raised him from the dead. So you can imagine why uh, this family would be inclined to host a dinner party for Jesus when someone raises your relative from the dead. That's the least you can do, right, is provide a meal. <clears throat> and this is a, probably one of the strangest dinner parties that's ever uh, occurred because there is a man present who was once dead, and now he's alive. So Martha is occupied preparing the food. Lazarus is talking to Jesus. And then Mary, wear her heart on her sleeve, Mary, comes in and she, point, she, she pours a pint of expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. And then she takes her hair and she rubs her hair on Jesus' feet. Now this is an extravagant act, and it's actually so extravagant that everyone else around is embarrassed by it. Uh, in this particular account of this story, it only talks about Judas's objection. And naturally, we expect Judas to object, right? Because we know that Judas is kind of a scoundrel. He's a traitor. But in some of the other accounts, they point out that actually all the disciples were disturbed by this action because there was this, there was this extravagance to it. Um, and, of course, the objection that Judas vocalizes is something that I think most of us can see reasonableness in, right? Judas's objection is, this perfume was worth a year's wages. This could have been sold and given to the poor. And I don't know, when I hear that, I think, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of a good point. Especially when we consider the value of this perfume. Uh, to put it in perspective, the average American household right now um, has a yearly income of about $60,000. So to put things in context, it's probably good to think of this bottle of perfume as worth $60,000. I don't know about you, but I, I imagine that most of us probably don't have something in our house that's worth $60,000, just one item. And I think that we can all agree that if we did, it would be irresponsible to use that in a manner where it would just be gone and the value would be used up in like 30 seconds, right? That seems like it would be an irresponsible thing to do, especially in a, in a world where there are poor people who are suffering. So Judah seems to be making a, a, a point that, you know, it's, it's a little hard to argue with, right? And we might assume that Jesus would agree with Judas, right? Because after all, we know that one of the themes of Jesus' ministry is, has been that it is important to care for the poor. Uh, Jesus has been very critical of the religious leaders of the time, specifically for the ways that they take advantage of the people, which includes taking advantage of them financially, right? So you could hardly blame someone for thinking 
that Jesus would respond by saying, yeah, you know what, Judas, you are right. Mary, shame on you. This was a waste. I don't need this. But of course, that's not how Jesus responds, right? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, leave her alone. Don't give her a hard time. Don't, don't shame her. And actually, in, in Mark's account, he specifically says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. All right, so I said that this story has something to teach us that's relevant to the specific cultural moment that we're in. So what is that? Well, it'll take me a little bit of time to explain this, and hopefully it makes sense. But I think it goes without saying that in the cultural moment that we are in, there is a lot of disagreement in public discourse, right? There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of partisanship. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of name-calling. And I believe that one of the things that contributes to this state of affairs in the world is the fact that we all have a desire to simplify the world. And what I mean by that is we all have a desire to, to look at the world in such a way where there are clear good guys and there are clear bad guys. And there are actions that are clearly wrong and there are actions that are uh, clearly evil. Now, just to be clear, okay, because I know that somebody could misinterpret what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that there aren't acts that are clearly wrong and acts that are clearly right and that we shouldn't have the courage to acknowledge that. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But often, reality is more complex and more nuanced than we might want to think. A very simple view of reality would say, using $60,000 worth of perfume the way Mary does is wrong, right? And uh, Mary did a bad thing. And Mary's probably a wasteful, bad person. That's a simple way of viewing the world. And I, as I, I've said, I think under most circumstances, uh, that kind of extravagance is worthy of denunciation. But again, reality is more complex and more nuanced than we often want to think. And in this situation, Jesus is clear that Mary has done a praiseworthy thing. Now, why is that? How can that be? The reason it's praiseworthy is because there's two things that matter that we often don't want to consider when we want to look at the world in a simplified way, and that is context matters and intent matters. So when we're evaluating any action, the context of that action matters and the intent behind that act matters. So context, why does Mary do this? Mary, Mary does this for Jesus, right? And not only does she do it for Jesus, but she's doing it just a little while before Jesus is going to be crucified, possibly the most significant event in history, right? Uh, and, and we know that she knows that this is about to happen, right? Because Jesus says it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. So he's saying Mary is recognizing my impending death, and so the context of this extravagant act matters. These are all factors that have to do with context, right? That is, that is important. That matters. And also, intent matters. 
Mary does this extravagant act because she loves Jesus. She does it out of a heart, a longing to honor Jesus, right? Now, if she had done this just because she was trying to flatter Jesus or because she was trying to impress everyone that was watching, I don't think Jesus would have praised her. You know, just as he didn't praise the Pharisees when they deliberately did their acts of righteousness before people in order to receive praise and acclaim from them, right? So intent matters. Context matters and intent matters. With every action, those two things are important. And what I think is one of the reasons that there is so much division in our culture right now is because we want to simplify the world. We want clear good guys, clear bad guys. And so what we do is we judge people's actions without knowing context and without knowing intent. And when we don't know context or intent, we can judge a lot of evil actions as praiseworthy. And we can judge a lot of praiseworthy actions as evil. Hopefully I'm making sense. One example of this that I like to give, and I've, I've given this in a sermon before, but I think it's so good that I want to use it again because you might not have heard it when I used it the first time. A while ago, there was a video that was, I saw going around on social media, and it was of this big Christmas tree, and there were people who looked to be of Arabic descent climbing up this Christmas tree. And there was yelling and screaming in, in another language other than English. And overlaid on top of this video were the words, they said they'd assimilate. Yeah, right. And there was a caption that said something about, this is a, a band of angry Muslims tearing down a Christmas tree because they don't like Christmas decorations. Uh, and this is at a mall somewhere in America. So, remember, context matters and intent matters. Um, so, I did a little bit of digging to figure out where did this video actually come from. And as I did my research, I found out that this was not a mall in America. This is actually a mall in Cairo. And these were not Muslims, these were actually Christians. And they were climbing up the Christmas tree because there was this event that would be held at the mall where people tried to climb to the top to grab the star or whatever was at the top as before anybody else. And the screaming and yelling around them was the crowd, you know, rooting for whoever their competitor was, right? So some people looked at that video and judged it without knowing context and without knowing intent and saw it as evil. But a little bit of investigation revealed this isn't an evil act at all. And, you know, in some people's minds, it might even be considered a praiseworthy act, you know, a healthy community Christmas activity, right? So, context matters, intent matters. If you look at that video without context, 
uh, you can interpret it as evil. Just as if you heard about a woman who poured $60,000 worth of perfume on somebody, you might say, well, that's just evil, right? That's just a waste. But it actually wasn't. So I want to encourage us to let this story remind us that we need to be slow to judge others' actions. And I'll repeat again. Sometimes acts are just plain evil or good, right? And we can see that right away. But not always. A lot of the time, without knowledge of context, without knowledge of intent, we can't make that judgment. So we have to be slow to judge. We have to be discerning. We have to be careful. And if we want to see our public discourse become a little less heated, a little more productive, a little more kind, that's a good place to start. Recognizing that before we start demonizing, before we start condemning, context matters, intent matters. All right, so I said this story also reminds us of a fundamental truth, and this is actually what I'm even more interested in talking about today. It reminds us of something that we all need to be reminded of, a truth that we tend to drift away from if we're not reminded of it. And that is simply this, okay? There is nothing in the world that comes anywhere close to the value of Jesus and of knowing Jesus. Nothing. The reason Mary can take something that's worth $60,000 and enthusiastically pour it on Jesus is because she sees him as far more valuable than that $60,000 worth of perfume. To her, that $60,000 worth of perfume is just a drop in the ocean of Jesus' worth. And what I want us to ask ourselves this morning is, do I recognize that? Do I agree with Mary? Or do I just kind of see Mary as a little fanatical? Jesus once said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. In other words, being a part of Jesus' kingdom is so valuable that it is worth giving up everything else in order to have it. That's how valuable it is. And that is something that Mary understands. Right? Mary understands that not just intellectually, not just as an idea, but emotionally. She feels it in her heart. And that's why she does what she does. I'm sure Mary would agree with the words of a famous hymn, which we're going to sing in a little while. It's uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, written by Isaac Watts. Uh, Watts wrote, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Were the whole realm of nature mine, never mind just $60,000 worth of perfume. If I had the whole thing, it would not be enough to represent your worth, God, the value of your love. So I'll ask again, do we agree with that? Do we recognize that? Do we see Jesus as that valuable? Because if we don't, we're actually not recognizing reality. 
Most of you are probably familiar with uh, the TV show, Anti Antiques Roadshow. Um, I haven't watched that in, in years and years, but I think it's still going. And, uh, you know, people will bring in their antiques from, that they have lying around their houses to be appraised by experts. And a lot of the time, they have no idea how valuable the stuff in their homes is. Sometimes they just think it's junk. They bring it in, and they find out they actually have very valuable items in, among their stuff. Uh, in 2011, one man from Oklahoma had his rhinoceros horned cup collection assessed, and uh, they determined it was probably worth $1.5 million, these cups carved from rhinoceros horns. And, and the guy said that he had actually bought it from somebody for 5000 So clearly, somebody had absolutely no idea how valuable these cups were, right? No clue. They sold them for 0.03% or something like that of, of what they were actually worth. And I think that some people who identify as Christians are similar to the guy who sold those rhinoceros horn cups for so, so cheap. Because many of us fail to recognize the value of a relationship with Christ and the freedom and peace and power and hope that we can find there. I've heard a lot of stories over the years of people who left the Christian faith. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes they tell a story that goes something like this. I waited and waited for God to give me fill in the blank. You know, I, I waited and waited for God to heal me of a chronic illness, and he never did. Or I waited and waited for God to heal someone I love of a chronic illness, and it, it didn't happen. Or I waited and waited for God to give me a spouse, and I, I never got a spouse. Or I waited and waited for God to fix my marriage, and my marriage just fell apart. I waited and waited for God to give me a child. God never gave me a child. I waited and waited for God to fulfill my dreams, and it didn't happen. And I got tired of waiting, and so I lost my faith, and I abandoned it. But the problem with that story that gets told sometimes is it doesn't recognize the value of Jesus himself. Instead of focusing on the value of Jesus, what that story says is, is essentially, I waited and waited for Jesus to give me the $60,000 worth of perfume that I wanted. And when he didn't, I left. But you see how different that attitude is from the attitude that we see from Mary, which is, I just gave Jesus my $60,000 worth of perfume because he was worth so much more than that. Are we like Mary at all? Do we recognize the treasure that we have through the gospel? Do we see it as beautiful? Do we see it as worth more than anything else? Because the reality, regardless of what we actually recognize, is that it is more valuable than anything else. So let's not make the mistake of selling our $1.5 million rhinoceros cups for $5,000, right? Metaphorically speaking, of course. 
Why is it so valuable? Why is Jesus so valuable? Through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. Through Jesus, we have peace with our creator. Through Jesus, we have assurance that we are part of a meaningful story, right? That life is not just this pointless journey from nothing to nothing, for nothing. But that it's so much more than that. Through through Jesus, we have victory over death. That shadow that hangs over every one of us, that knowledge that we are mortal. Through, Through Jesus, we have victory over that. And through Jesus, we're empowered to resist evil in the world and to work for justice. You know, if we really believe this world is just all there is, this is my only opportunity to experience pleasure, to experience happiness, well, why would you ever put yourself on the line for a cause that's greater than your own pleasure, right? Because this is the only life you have. This is it. But Jesus frees us from that slavery to that mindset, right? Because Jesus empowers us, frees us to recognize, I can work for justice right now, even if it costs me something. I can resist evil right now, even if it comes at a great price. Because I know that this life is not all there is, and I know that there is victory over sin, over the devil, over death, through Jesus. Through Jesus, we have access to hope, peace, power, freedom, life. Nothing can compare in value to that. Maybe this morning you feel like your love has grown cold for Jesus. And maybe you're not seeing much value in him right now. And obviously I've tried to to push you towards thinking differently with that list I just gave. But I think one thing that might help is just observing Mary in this passage. Sometimes the way that we learn to love something is by observing somebody who already loves that thing. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll, I'll hear a piece of music and I'll be like, eh, it's okay, it doesn't really do anything for me. But then I see somebody else moved by that same thing and then I start to go, actually, yeah, that is a pretty cool song, you know? And sometimes... Seeing someone else appreciate something teaches us how to appreciate it. So if your love is growing cold, I encourage you to just think of Mary, heart on her sleeve Mary, coming into this dinner party and awkwardly, extravagantly pouring out $60,000 worth of perfume on Jesus, using her hair, her, her, her beautiful hair to wipe his dirty feet, Right? And to think she gets it. She recognizes reality. She sees the truth of how things actually are. And let her show you the way. Let's pray. Lord, if any of us are uh, struggling to um, recognize the beauty, the value of what we have through you. Lord, I pray that you would awaken uh, an awareness of reality this morning in us. God, we recognize that what we have through you is, is more valuable than anything else. And we pray that we would be able to share um, 
the attitude that Mary demonstrates here. And Lord, we do also pray that we would be slow to judge, that we would be uh, people who remember that context and intent matters in every action, and that as we do so, we would be people who help to bring peace and reconciliation in a world that badly needs it. In Jesus' name, amen.